Welcome and thank you for joining Save Our Sisters Unplugged. If you're ready to hear the survival to success stories of brave and intelligent women, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be letting our hair down and gaining insight into how women have overcome their life struggles. My name is Noreen Foy and I'll be your host. Now let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Save Our Sisters Unplugged podcast. My beautiful guest is the host of the I Wrote That podcast, a three-time international best-selling author, book coach, ghostwriter, and the CEO of Next Page Publishing, where she helps people write, edit, market, and publish their books. As the company's founder, Larissa's mission is to help aspiring authors unleash the power of their book on the world and use it to grow their businesses. More importantly, she is the mom of a beautiful little girl, and her goal is to set an example for her daughter they can both be proud of. Here to tell us how writing got her started on her healing journey, it is my pleasure to welcome Mrs. Larissa Sowen. Welcome, girl. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so glad that you were sent my way. I, you know, I was looking through all of your material and I'm like, man, this lady is out here doing this thing. <laughs> yes, I'm working hard. Like I said, making, setting good examples and uh, to, that we can both be proud of. I want to be proud of myself too at the end of the day, right? So absolutely, absolutely. In our sis chat, we talked a little bit about your past. So want to dig into that just a little bit. So growing up, who was in your family dynamic? I'm an only child. So, and I know a lot of people may hear that they go, oh, you don't share <laughs> well. <laughs> and I swear I do share well. So I had my mom and dad that, you know, they've been married for going on 30 years now. We grew up in a very small Northern town in British Columbia, Canada, and, you know, very, very good childhood, lots of outdoors, you know, and you and I were just chatting, we did lots of camping as a child mm -hmm. and, um, but it was very small town. It was a very small town and, you know, I have small town syndrome because of that. Mm -hmm. What is small town syndrome? Just because, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not from a small town. Um, well, I'm from a small Island, but I don't think yeah. it bothered me. <laughs> oh, okay. So small town syndrome to me is like that fear of, being the talk of everyone, of like everyone knowing your business and not being able to do anything in the privacy of yourself or your family. And I think it actually prepared me really well to go into this industry, to become an author, because, you know, I do live shows like this where it's not just my business anymore. It's the world. And I'm talking to a lot of people, but it's also giving me that ability to know when to keep things close to my chest and when something truly belongs to me. That's what I would call small town syndrome. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think I might have that too. I, I definitely know all about people knowing all your business and, um, you know, growing up on an island, you know, if you do something wrong in school and maybe one of the ladies down the street have heard about it, they will discipline you and then you will still get disciplined when you get home. So by the yeah. time you've gotten home, four or five people could have disciplined you because news travels just that quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I lived next to my aunt and uncle, so I would get it from both sides, right? You get in trouble with the cousins, you get it from them, you get in trouble from your parents. And then my other aunt and uncle were just a little ways down the street, so you'd get it again. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think sometimes, you know, I, just looking back on it, I'm like, you know what? That's when the village rates the children. And I think mm -hmm. we really, we really need to bring that back. 
it's true, you know, and my husband and I, we have our daughter, she's our, our one and only, and we work really hard to make sure her grandparents and her aunts and uncles are in her life. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now you did mention that you, um, you had anxiety and you were depressed at a young age. Uh, what can you share about your personal experience growing up with that uh, depression and anxiety and how did it impact your childhood and teenage years? You know, I would say the biggest impact is that I don't remember a lot. Uh, just having anxiety and being depressed and never really getting the treatment that I needed um, because it was small town. I don't know if it was just, you know, it wasn't recognized. It wasn't talked about. This was, you know, 20, 25 years ago. That's not something we commonly talked about, especially in our youth. It was like, mm -hmm. oh, she's just a teenager. She'll grow out of it. Right. Um, but it, it's resulted in a lot of lost memories. I actually don't remember a lot of my childhood and I struggle even to this day with memory related issues. And it wasn't until my daughter was born that I was diagnosed with bipolar. And it was at that moment, it was like, oh, that makes sense. Mm. That, that makes sense. It started showing up in my teenage years. I was never treated for it. So it just manifested and it grew and then, and then it would go away because that's what bipolar does, right? You go in swings and you go up and down and I would be in a really high spot and I'd be really great. And then all of a sudden I'd be really, really low. Wow. And I never understood it. So as a teenager, people just saw it as mood swings. That's yeah. what it was, right? You're or like you're girl. acting out. Yeah, you're just acting out. You're a teenage girl. Oh, she's crying again. That's just what teenagers do. And it's so, <laughs> it was, but you know, it has given me a lot of power as an adult, a, a lot of power to do things better, to speak better, to recognize better, just to to do it better. I know I said better a lot, but I want to be better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better. <laughs> exactly. Right. I better be better. You know, I can actually relate on um, having some memory loss from my youth. There's a lot of things that I have been through, and I think I might've shared some of it with you in our sis chat, but there's a lot of things that I've been through in my youth that I've suppressed. Mm -hmm. And then when I try to go visit that time again, I cannot remember. And then so recently I've been having just some spurts of memory flashes that comes back to me and I'm like, oh, okay. Hmm, yeah, I do remember that. Did you have any of that at all? Like some of it coming back in pieces? I find I have two triggers for me. One is my daughter, obviously watching her grow up and, you know, that do better watching her grow through her emotions because I have bipolar. I watch for it in her. She's a little young to be, you know, showing any signs of it at this point, mm -hmm. but you know, it's something I need to watch for in her. And then my husband, he has an incredible memory. So he'll be sharing these stories from like grade three. And I'm like, how do you do that? But it'll always like, it's like a, it's like a drop of oil in a frying pan, right? He'll drop it in there and it'll kind of disperse and something mm -hmm. will pick up over here and something will pick up over there. And like you said, they just, they kind of come back in the little flashes and sometimes they're really good. And I'm like, oh, that's such a good memory. I missed that. Yeah. Like that was amazing. And other times it's like, oh, nope, didn't enjoy that. Let's just push that one back down. No, that's not actually what I do. But... <laughs> well, you know, pushing it back down, it's the first instinct is to push it back down. Like, nope, I don't want to experience that pain again. Let's just forget yeah. that I even remember that. And I think that's why we suppress them in the first place is because we don't want to remember them because they were just painful. Yeah. You know, who yeah. wants that? 
So what were some of the most significant obstacles that you faced as a child dealing with depression, anxiety? So again, that small town syndrome, that desire to fit in, in, in grade eight, um, I, my best friend moved away mm. and that as a grade eight girl, what am, what am I at that point? 13, 14 in grade eight. And it, that's detrimental. When you lose your best friend, you lose your resource, you lose your, your confidant. And that was really the trigger for me. I would say if I were to pinpoint, you know, where the depression started, that would be where it was. And because no one spoke about it, because it wasn't normal, I, I kept masking it. You know, I went through waves of eating disorders. I went through waves of you know, fairly unhealthy um, relationships, like very one-sided dominant relationships that I never should have been in. And it was just all of this, like just trying to understand why I felt like this, mm-hmm. but throwing covers that I I thought were socially acceptable. Oh, find a boyfriend. Oh, don't eat because the models don't eat, you know, fit into that size of jeans. Like I I look at what kids are wearing now and they look so much more comfortable than what I grew up (laughs) in. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so jealous because the clothes we grew up in, I grew up in for sure, were tiny and they were made of like this much fabric. Yeah. (laughs) And it was the norm to stuff yourself into that. So develop an eating disorder. Find the boyfriend that was going to be, you know, your status point, not someone who actually liked you or, you know, wanted to be good to you, but was your status. And it, it took me a couple of years to realize that I deserved better that I didn't have to be that way. And it actually was leaving. And I will say that I had an amazing boyfriend in high school after, you know, the not so good relationships and he was wonderful. And he was one of the reasons that I came out of it. Um, But then moving, that was the next thing. Get out of that small town, leave it behind, start fresh and move to a big city. I went to secondary school. It was, you know, I met friends that were not teenagers, they were adults and they were a good influence on me and they talked about mental health and it was just, it was incredible. You know, and that's, that's really amazing that your boyfriend helped you through that. What steps did he take to actually help you through that? I don't think it was anything conscious. It was just his presence. You know, it was just the the fact of having someone else that's not in your parents' realm. Like, you know, you're at that age, you're trying to separate from your parents a little bit. You're looking to gain some independence. I created new friendships, new networks, some of them healthy, some of them not as teenagers do. And I think it was just the presence of having another social circle, someone that was supportive, someone that, you know, had their own goals and their own aspirations and wanted more than the small town life. Yeah, I totally can relate to your life. (laughs) I definitely can. And I'm glad that he was there to really do that. Did you seek any professional help at that time? No, I didn't seek professional help until after my daughter was born. Actually, until my daughter was, well, I was diagnosed as bipolar and put Mm -hmm. on medication. That was the first intervention. Okay, so that was the first time. Mm -hmm. That was the first time. And then it was about three years later when I went through a a major depressive episode where I needed very intensive therapy and hospitalizations and, you know, round the clock care just to keep me going for the day. Um, That was the first time I really sought like professional mental health care. 
That is really good. And a lot of people really don't seek that care. I think they go through a phase of back and forth, like, oh, I don't need it. Well, maybe I do need it. Like they're just not really open. And then of course, coming from a small town where people aren't really into mental health like they are today, it's really hard for you to even say, hey, let me go and seek this mental health for myself. So Mm -hmm. was your daughter just, um, was it because you didn't want your daughter to experience some of the things that you experienced that propelled you to just really seek that out? When it, when it was, when she was about, I think it was about six months old. And my husband happened to be working night shift and he did, he's not a shift worker. So that was very abnormal for us. So I had a six month old baby and my husband was, you know, fairly absent for, I think it was about 45 days that he was on the shift and it was about two thirds of the way through. And I said, I would rather pack up all my stuff and leave than do another day of this. Oh wow! And, and that broke my heart. Like I was looking at my six month old daughter saying, I don't want this anymore. Like this, this, I can't do this anymore. And, and it, that was the moment where I was like, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like it's I love postpartum depression. Her. Yeah. I love, but that's what it wasn't though, because I loved mm. her unconditionally. I wanted her, I wanted to protect her and I never wanted to put her in harm's way. I never felt disconnected. I just knew I couldn't do it anymore. Not for lack of love, just for sickness. It was just sick. And so I went and I sought help. And I went to my first therapist that I went to was absolutely terrible. She was um, free through insurance. (laughs) And it was, I'm lucky I found someone that I liked. I'm lucky that I gave it another chance because I went to her once. And this is a call to anybody that is looking for therapy trust your gut. Because when I went into the office, I immediately should have known it was a no. Like I immediately should have turned around and said, no, this is not for me. I remember sitting down and filling out the forms and it was like, list every traumatic experience you've ever had in your life. Good gosh. And if anyone has tried to do that before, you are not coming out of that session better. I can guarantee you that's going to be traumatic. And that's, that's, that's all it was. That's That's really awkward too. It was like, here, it was on paper. Like it wasn't even talk therapy. It was just like, write it down. And so then I had to sit there for 10 minutes while she read about all of my traumas and just like tutted and wrote notes. And I was like, this is the worst experience I've ever had. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just so, call it what it is. That is weird. It, but that was my first exposure to talk therapy. That's what I, that's what I got. And so I never went back. I ghosted her, which is terrible, but I did. I never went back. And, um, it was two more years, two, two and a half years until I went through it again. And it wasn't, it wasn't a choice. I had to see somebody. And it was actually my husband at the time who booked the appointments, who found me the therapist who, you know, he called, he did little mini interviews of like who he Mm -hmm. thought would be a good fit for me. And then he booked the appointments. He drove me to the appointments. He sat in the parking lot. Like he, you want to talk about support? He was support. Yeah, he sounds like a winner. Yes. You he have is. to snatch him up, huh? <laughs> Back off. He's mine. <laughs> hey, I, I got a good one too. Cause mine we'll would keep our own, book right? the appointment. He wouldn't even sit in that thing. He would come in and he would make sure that I'm okay. And he yes. would be like, have a little discussion with the therapist before he left out. Like he right? is very protective. Uh, yes. Yeah. So and good to have men like that in your life. It is. Yeah. And and it's one of the big reasons I survived. 
is yeah. because of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, <laughs> I will tell you about my first experiences, a little bit like yours, weird as well. So I go in, it was right after my divorce and I wanted to make sure that my kids were okay. Cause now I'm going to have to take on this new role of being a single parent and I didn't know how to do it. So I wanted to make sure my kids were going to be okay. I go in through my EAP program from mm -hmm. work, mm -hmm. chose the therapist. I go in, it's a male. I'm immediately like, mm, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Cause I'm like, I don't know if you're going to get it. I was hoping for a female, but it's free to the job. So what are you mm -hmm. going to do? This guy, he has this long mustache that curled. It came long all the way down and curled up on the edges. And he just sat there and looked at us. He might have asked us for 10 minutes like we had a discussion. And then the rest of the 50 minutes, he just stared at us. Weird. And it was weird, weird and awkward. And my kids are looking at me and I'm looking at them and I'm looking at the therapist. And so I was like, okay, maybe maybe we're doing therapy wrong. So I was like, let me give him one more chance. Give him one more chance. Same thing. I was out of there. I didn't ghost him like you did. I was, <laughs> I just, I just called my EAP person and I was like, listen, this guy is weird. I don't know what he's expecting. I don't know what's happening here, but I don't think he's our guy. He's not our yeah. guy. And so they got me in with a lady and she was amazing. Mm -hmm. She was amazing. And the thing is she didn't want to have children. But she was so amazing with my children. She got my mm -hmm. son to open up. It was amazing. So yeah. yes, vetting your therapist is most definitely the same strength as vetting a husband. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because it is a relationship you're entering, right? It's not as two-way as like a marriage or even kids or anything or friendship, but it is a relationship. It's probably one of the more vulnerable ones you're going to have. Absolutely. And you know, just to segue a little bit here, I've looked at your books. They're not all in the same niche. What inspired you to choose writing as a means of healing from your mental health challenges? Yeah. Um, so I have my three books and you can see them over here. I've got mm -hmm. the sci-fi, the self-help, and then a publishing book. I did that in the wrong order, but you can see them. <laughs> it's all backwards for me. So it's hard to, to point, but the first book that I wrote was my sci-fi book and I have her here and she, this is the defender. She was written in 2021 and I talk about my daughter being, you know, my lifesaver. She's the one who saved my life. She's the one who kept me from, you know, making the irreversible decisions, mm -hmm. but the character in this book, her name is Alexia. She's the one who brought me back. Okay. She's the one who brought me out of the darkest time. My daughter saved me, but she, she brought me back and I, I couldn't have gone through. Yes. It's sci-fi. Yes. She's fighting aliens. She's going to different galaxies. You know, she's, she's badass, but she doesn't start that way. She right. starts very vulnerable and she starts very fragile and weak. And she has to go through a lot of physical trials, but also mental trials to overcome what she's feeling so that she can ultimately fulfill this role that she that everyone is expecting her to do and it's so much like the journey that I was on everyone is expecting me to be a mom expecting me to be a model employee expecting me to be a perfect daughter and you know I put her through these scenarios of like okay go out there and battle for your life build these huge expectations that people have for you but there's no way you're staying the same there's no way you're going to get through it and not come out a different person. 
And so I put her through that and, you know, I kind of had to walk the talk. I had to grow with her. I had to say the things that she was saying to herself to get through the hard times. And there were hard times in both of our lives at the point. So, so she's my, she's my, she's my life changer. She's my life changer. I love it. And I love that. First of all, I, I name everything of mine. So all my things are he's and she's. (laughs) Yeah. So I love that to say you're calling your book. She, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, She's an entity. She is, she lives and breathes, right? She's in my heart and she'll, she'll live with me forever. Yeah. Yeah. She's wonderful. So this was your first book. It is very personal. I can see the emotions on your face as you're talking about it. How long did it take you to write it? Eight weeks. (laughs) Really? Wow. (laughs) I know. You just got in there and you was just waiting to just put that out. I was. And I, this is, I, I wrote it accidentally, to be honest. I didn't even know I was writing a book until I was about 10,000 words. And, and I, at the time I was off work because I wasn't physically able to work. I wasn't mentally or physically able to work. And I had a lot of time on my hands. My daughter was still in daycare. My husband was still working mostly full time. And I, I had nothing else to do. So I sat down in front of the computer and I said, I'm just going to write. And I, her name came first. And her story came second. And I just wrote. I wrote for probably six hours a day for eight weeks. And by the end of it, she was born. And then, of course, there was editing and designing and all of that stuff. So it took me a full year to actually publish the book. Mm-hmm. But the actual writing was eight weeks. Wow. Are your other two books just as personal? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. She, uh, you know, like Alexia, she she was there for me in the hard times. But the other two books are business books and they are, so they're not, not personal. They're just personal in a different way. They right. are personal to my business, to my brand, to my professional identity. Mm-hmm. I put a lot of weight in them and you know, the middle one there is what kickstarted my company. Okay. It came before I incorporated, I launched it the same month I launched my business And it helped me build all my programs. It helped me with all of my marketing strategy. It helped me get on podcasts like this. So everything Mm -hmm. that I needed for a brand came from that middle book. And then the last book you see there, the red one came as a collaboration book. And it's what I've used to launch my brand even further. It's my authority piece. It's the one that I created masterminds off of. It's the one that I've used to network with the most because it's a collaboration book. So it's me and 16 other authors. Oh, okay. so I've leveraged their audiences. So my audience now is like, is, you know, 17 times greater than it was before through this book. So every book has been a stepping stone in my life and they all mean something slightly different. Yeah. It sounds like they are. And I'm glad that you were able to at least um, navigate your life through that writing. Mm -hmm. So did writing those books, especially the first one, did that help navigate and overcome your depression and anxiety? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, like I said, she, she brought me back. She brought me back. Okay. Can you share some like key insights and turning yeah. points that you oh, that's not enough. that process? <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to dig deep, honey. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So the, you know, walking the talk. So at the time I was in talk therapy as well, as well as seeking like psych- psychiatric care and things like that. But I would go to a therapy session and I would talk through whatever was on my mind for the day. And then I would come home and I would write And I was finding that the vibes that I was 
picking up on from therapy. Whatever emotion I walked out with was the emotion that I poured into the start of a chapter. So if I walked out of therapy feeling, you know, maybe a little disjointed, not fully whole, a little foggy, I my chapter would start that way. It would start a little muddled. They would start, you know, maybe Alexia was having a panic attack or something like that, whatever I was feeling. But then in writing the chapter, I would have to pull her out of it. I would have to push her to some strength, some overcoming, you know, feat that she would have to do. And I would have to shift my mindset. I'd have to start thinking, okay, how would she get over this? What breathing exercises would she do? What mantra would she say in her mind? And it to write effective characters, you have to think the way they think. Right. And so it was really stepping into her shoes and pulling herself through this. And then it also gave me the outlet to process my world. I talk about this um, quite a lot. She travels to different planets in the galaxy and every planet has a different color of ocean or a different hue of light or the trees make different sounds than you would expect here on earth and every time she travels to a different planet I was changing medication Mm. and so her shift in reality her travel to another planet was my shift I was seeing the world in a different light. I was perceiving things different. You know, maybe I was really dizzy one day from the meds or, you know, the lights were just a little too bright because I was sensitive to different things or the textures were weird. I went through this whole phase of being really sensitive to texture where like I couldn't touch stuff. And, you know, so her worlds would mirror what I was going through, even though my feet were firmly planted on earth. Wow. You know, the reason that I asked you to go a little bit deeper is because I know that a lot of women, when they're out there and they have their life struggles, some people journal, you know, mm-hmm. but you used what you were going through as somewhat of a journal, but it turned into a book. So in essence, you would inspire other women to do books and then maybe they'll come to you to edit, publish, <laughs> market. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's, That's, you know, my whole brand is built on how a book can change you personally and professionally. Even though I focus on nonfiction, that's where my business is built on. The the stories that women are pouring into their nonfiction books are life-changing, both to them and to their readers. Mm -hmm. And they deserve a publisher that sees that, that has been through that. And I have been through that. Exactly. And that's always the best publisher to get is someone that can relate to your life struggles. You know, Mm -hmm. someone can relate in some way. And that's why I wanted to really have you on here today talking about all the things that you have been doing. So did you incorporate any specific techniques or exercises that helped you uh, cope with your mental health challenges? And are any of those outlined in any of your books, whether it be the personal one or the other two? Not yet. (laughs) So I am consistently working on books. I think I have probably four books on the go right now. And one of them is my memoir. And that is where I really talk about lessons learned. And the way I have it structured, it's all around um, how motherhood has changed me because she was my defining moment. She's the one who changed everything for me. She's who I strive to be better for. And it starts with an assumption that I have made about myself or about my journey or about, you know, life. And then I work through, so it'll start with a one-liner and, and then it'll go through, you know, this is, 
this is how I've applied this methodology. This is how I've thought for the last 30 years until her, until my daughter. Mm -hmm. And now here's how I've shifted. And it's, it's storytelling. It's more flowy than that. Right. But then it comes right. out at the other end and it, it crosses out that assumption that I've made and replaces it with something healthier. And that's been my flow for helping people tell their own stories too. One of the things we do in the very beginning is what assumptions do your readers have? And then how do you tackle them head on? What would you say to break those assumptions, to give them something new to believe in? I love that mindset. Mm -hmm. So I want to fast forward 10 years when your daughter is about 15. Oh my gosh. When she reads your book, <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's very scary. <laughs> I, bet, I bet a couple of things flashed through your mind when you, you thought did, of yeah. your daughter at 15. Boys, boys flashed through my mind and that was scary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> boys, boobs growing up. Yeah, the whole the whole shebang. Yep. Okay, what's so, your scenario? <laughs> so fast forward to 10 years when she's about 15 years old and she reads your book. What do you want her to get from it? From the Defender? From my sci-fi book? Or from yes. my memoir? From, from, from the, the sci-fi book? From the first one, yeah. That, um, she knows the story behind that one. She's so funny. She makes little advertisements for the Defender. <laughs> she draws pictures of the Defender. Like the Defender is part of her life very much. And she, I don't think she understands that not all moms write books <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but what I want her to know, I don't know that I need her to know how important it is to me. I need her to know that she has the outlet to do something similar. Mm -hmm. whether it's through writing or through, she's very into art. She likes to color. She uses the iPad to express herself. She sings like she has worked through so much through singing. And I just need her to know that if she has a passion for something and it helps her in any way, process emotions, scenarios, whatever, that I stand behind her. In what she yeah. needs to do. She, you know, she was there when I wrote the first book. She has supported me in her five-year-old way as best <laughs> she can, right? A hundred percent. And I owe it to her when she's 15 to do the same for her. Well, she was your muse, you know, and I've seen some of those. Um, I want to say it was Dwayne Wade and um, Gabrielle Union. Their daughter wrote a book. I don't know if she physically wrote the book or if they used her scenario to write the book. Is that something you think you might do with your daughter? Yes. My husband and I and, and her already have a book planned where the three of us contribute a story. So it's called The Tale of the Roses, Ooh. patent pending or whatever you want to call that and copyright <laughs> coming. Um, but each of us are taking a different spin on the story. And it was so funny because just today we were driving home from camping and we were asking her to tell us about her Tale of the Roses. Tell us about your story. And she's going on about you know, she finds a magical rose and she's transported to a magical forest with fairies and the bad guy comes and steals her rose. And oh, no. so she already has this full story, right? So now I just have to, you know, ghostwrite it for her and put her voice on it. Oh, that's so amazing. You yeah. know, and she's so creative in her little five-year-old self that she's got all this drama in this book. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. a whole plot behind it all. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so when you were writing your book, Either one of them. And I want to focus on the first one because that one was really personal to you. Mm -hmm. Most people, when they're going through stuff and they're writing in that journal, they're just pouring their heart out. When you were writing this book, what discoveries did you um, find out about yourself as you're writing this book? Like, did you discover anything new? I don't think 
in the very beginning, I actually did discover a lot because it was eight weeks. Like it was intensive and it was just pouring out of me. There wasn't a ton of time for reflection. And that's actually very common with first drafts is it's literally just about getting the idea on paper. It doesn't have to be pretty. Quite often people will tell you, don't go back and read. That's not necessarily my (laughs) advice all the time, depending on the person, but just get it out there. What I found was the most transformational was editing it, hearing Mm -hmm. feedback from others, and then talking about it on shows like this, going to book clubs and things like that, and talking about what what went into this book when I got really reflective, when I realized, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, there's so much more. And even on the weekend, my husband and I were talking about it. You know, I'm working on book two. And I was reflecting on how, you know, maybe I'd wished I'd give her a little bit more. I'd wish I'd given her a background. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like you gave her so much depth and, and still, I'm still reflecting on what she had and what she gave me. That's really good. Mm -hmm. That is really, really good. So how do you see your book contributing to the broader conversation about mental health and reducing stigma? Yeah, I... The Defender is such an interesting one because that is the platform I built my my author brand up on is breaking down those barriers. You know, when I started, because I'm an indie author, I had to market myself. I started handing out flyers to people in my neighborhood and the starting, the opening line in that flyer was, you know, an advocate for mental health in mothers. Mm-hmm. And I went on to write three children's books, one of which is called Mommy is Having a Sad Day. And it tells parents how to talk to their children about their emotions as a parent. Mm -hmm. What do you say to your child when you're crying and you can't really explain why? Like, how do you explain that to your child when you don't really fully understand it? And so it just breaks down that wall by putting it in a fun storybook with cute pictures. That is so true. There's a lot of women that really struggle with um, communicating with their children what they're feeling because their mommy, they're, they're the savior, you know, they're right up there with daddy, you know, yeah. but mommies are more uh, hands-on, excuse me, hands-on with the children. And so when mommy is not at a hundred percent, the kids are like, well, wait a minute, what's going mm-hmm. on with mommy? So yeah, yeah, I really think that that's a really good avenue for mothers to really um, sit down and really be conscious about what they're saying to their kids about how they're feeling in that moment. And then um, having the kids really understand exactly what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And so, and what role they can play in it. Right? Exactly. How can they help? How can because they, they help? can help. My, my five-year-old, you know, she was three at the time. She helped a lot. You know, she put on her own socks. She'd <laughs> pick her own outfits. And at the time, that was everything I needed because I couldn't help her. I could barely help myself. And so me being able to articulate like, hey, you know, I'm having a sad day. I really need you to help me out with this. She felt empowered. She felt in control and she felt helpful, right? And that's all it was, was, Hey, I'm having a sad day. I need your help. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love how you and your daughter have this relationship Mm -hmm. that you have this, how do you say it? This bubble around you. Yes have yeah. this understanding with each other and she knows, okay, mommy needs me now. So I need mm-hmm. to step up and do these things until mommy tells me she feels better. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So at what point in your healing journey did you decide to be a coach? It was about a year and a half ago. So I had been in the publishing space. I had been publishing books for about a year and a half. And I had to make this decision if I was going to go back to my corporate job. Okay. And 
in in my gut, in my heart, in my whole body was saying, don't do it. That is a bad decision. Like if you go back to corporate, you will spiral again. You will go downhill. Sure. You'll make a lot of money and you'll have really good insurance, but you, the quality of life, if you have a life will be so low that it will not be worth it. You can have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank and be absolutely miserable not wanting to spend it. You can spend a week in Hawaii and come home and hate your life. And yeah. it, it was like, this is not, this is not it for me. So I started researching what other options were there. And I realized I'm really good at writing <laughs> to my own horn. I'm really good at writing. <laughs> I'm really good at the publishing game. Like publishing is complicated. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for everybody. And I'm really good at teaching. That was one of the things I love most about my corporate job was the ability to teach and right. to share knowledge and to impact others. And I said, how do I combine these things? So I, I gave my notice to work and 14 days later, I incorporated my business and I never looked back. I said, this is it. I started networking with people. I took a bunch of training courses to how to become a publisher how to, um, you know, I'm a developmental editor now. I took all these training courses. I networked the heck out of myself to <laughs> align myself with people that were on similar journeys to me so that I could create friendships in this business, create alliances to, you know, bring businesses to them and they bring businesses to me. And I, I didn't go in half-hearted. I jumped in and I, right. I have no regrets about that. I make, you know, just as good money now, but I'm so much happier. So it's, yeah. it's not even the money. It's the quality of life that is important. Yeah. The ends definitely justify the means, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So your coaching program, tell us about that. Like, who do you specifically serve and why? Yeah, I serve you. I serve <laughs> women like you. I serve entrepreneurs, uh, women that are out there to make a difference in the world. I am, they're out there, you know, serving and showing up authentically and wholeheartedly for their clients, but they're also protecting themselves and they're taking the time they need to make sure that they stay healthy and happy and that they're thriving and growing the way they want to. And I take them and they're usually on this journey of self-discovery already, or they've been toying with the idea of a book for years, or someone has said to them, you need to write a book. Yeah. And they get to this spot where they're like, okay, I do. You know, my, my most recent client, she came to me and she said, I'm ready to tell my story. Like, help me tell my story. And I said, yes, please come on in. Let's yeah. do this. Right. <laughs> and, and we tell their story, but we do it in a way that is like the two books on the end here, the, the business books. Mm-hmm. It helps them grow their brand and, you know, 10X their business, get more clients, charge more for their services, but it does it in a way that's heart-centered. It's not just, you know, 10 steps to get rich quick. It's right. here's my story. Here's why I'm worth investing in. Here's, you know, here's what I can tell you about me that makes me a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. Why we're going to get along, why this is going to work. And it's, the day and age of just business books, just like 10 steps to get rich quick is, is dead in the water. Like it's not Absolutely. going to fly anymore. You have to integrate your story with it. And so that's why, that's where I come in. That's how I help. I help women do that. I love that. 
So you have the four pillars, the writing, the editing, the marketing, and the publishing. Does a new client have to get all four or can they do a la carte? Um, yeah, you can do a little a la carte. So okay. there, we have three versions of our program. The first one is the full program. You come in and we coach you right from idea. And maybe it's like half an idea. It's a, it's a napkin that you've scribbled on. You're like, I need this. They turn this into a book. And it's like, okay, let's do that together. And then we take you all the way through to publish. And the beauty of that is we are your teammates 100% of the way. You get a team that stands behind you. You get someone to bounce ideas off of. And I had someone ask me the other day, they're like, well, how do I tell this story? And I was like, well, how would you tell me? Tell me right now. Tell me that story. Mm -hmm. What do do you need to say to me for me to understand that story and to feel what you want me to feel? And then we translate that into text and having someone in your corner that you can just call up and be like, okay, I have this story. How do I say it? That's in the industry and knows how to tell a good story is um, invaluable to you and your book. So that's the one option. The next option is for those that are ready, but not ready, ready. <laughs> they they want to start their book, but they need to like dip their toes in. You know, they're a little right. more hesitant. They want to try it. They're not hundred percent sure that writing is the right answer for them. So they take the first four weeks with us and we just work through the planning, the outlining, the figuring out what's your story going to be like, who are you talking to? And then you write the first chapter. That's the toe tipper. I call it or the toe yeah. dipper. And then the next one is the people that have already written their book. And this is for the people that want more time to write their book. Cause sometimes it can take people like I'm, I am an oddity. I'm not the normal that it takes someone eight weeks to write a book. And my book, you know, is almost hundred thousand words. Like it's a big book. That's not normal. Please don't ever <laughs> think weeks? that's normal. Yeah. If anyone is watching this and be like, Oh, it took me longer than eight weeks. Good. Yeah, because that means your life didn't stop for eight weeks. Like it was intensive and that's what I could give at the time, but I don't recommend that to anyone, but for the people that need more time, you know, that need maybe a year or two to write their Mm -hmm. book that want to do a lot of market research. They come to me when their book is done. Their first draft is done. Maybe their second draft is done. And then we just walk through the editing, marketing and publishing phases so they don't get that upfront writing coaching. They don't get that, um, that I, you know, bouncing ideas off of as they're writing, but they get all of the support and teamwork that takes them through the end. Yeah. I love all of that. <laughs> and I love the toe tipper. The toe dipper. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Toe dipper. Yeah. That's I right. said toe tipper. Because that's what I said first. <laughs> I can write like nobody's business speaking. Not your thing. You're not going to be on the next TED talk. Oh, no, I am. I have. Oh. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so do you currently or in the future wish to start a book therapy program? Oh, that's such a good question. Mm. Um, every book is therapy, especially the way we do it in my programs. Every book maybe not is has the potential to be. If you choose to let that book in and you choose to give it the power that it has. Every book is therapy. That's why journaling is so popular in therapy because it it is writing is a form of therapy. Mm-hmm. As far as groups go, I'm very select on what groups I create. I do a monthly mastermind. I highly recommend anyone to check it out. I'll give you the link to grab your free ticket for that. So anybody listening can have, you know, come join me for an hour. For sure. And that's the only group thing I do. Because I am of this strong belief 
that a book is incredibly personal. And I believe that you should have one-on-one attention and that you should have the undivided attention of your coach, of your editor, so that they understand your voice and it's not mingling with other voices. Now, that doesn't work for all people. I get that. Some people really need the writing community. They really need that group of people to bounce ideas off in and that, you know, maybe the motivation of others. But a lot of people want that time to reflect on this and to feel like they are special and they're unique and that their story is theirs to tell. They don't want to get lost in a crowd. So I am very careful about where I choose to integrate groups into my coaching programs. And I love that you are actually open to that, like have a little set of a book club. It'll just be like, come on, if you need some therapy, let's just get together and read a book together. And yeah, totally, totally. (laughs) Write down some thoughts. I would probably join that group. (laughs) Well, let's set it up. You and I will start a book club. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Well, I don't even know if I have time to write a book. Well, not write, read a book right now because I'm trying to write a book and I am still in corporate America. I haven't made the leap yet to leave Yeah, because, you know, corporate America, the money's good, the insurance. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I know. (laughs) So before we close, what advice would you give to others who are struggling with depression and anxiety and considering using writing as a therapeutic tool? It's every person is different. And I don't like giving blanket advice really in any scenario. That's that one-on-one. It's that preference for one-on-one. I like to Mm -hmm. tailor it to what you're going through. But as far as using writing, depending on where you're coming from. So let's say you're a business person. You're very analytical. You like facts. I want you to write about the last meal you had. Just right. the facts. What did it taste like? What did it smell like? What did it feel like? What, what went into cooking it? What were the ingredients? And just get used to replaying something. Mm-hmm. and analyzing it to details and then start doing that with every meal you have start analyzing the facts and the details and then throw in how did it make you feel how did that meal make you feel before after during what were you feeling at the time and then transition further into okay you went for a walk how did you feel and just move away from like very fact to more feel and just tr- go slow And then for my people that are already in the feel, they're already in the midst of the feel and they like to let the emotions roll over them, but they still struggle with like what to write about. Google prompts, just Google a writing prompt. And usually it's a flashback. Like talk about your favorite childhood memory. Talk about your favorite pet. Talk about your least favorite pet. Whatever it is, but just go out there and Google prompts. You'll find a list of like a hundred and pick one. Mm. And and it just gets the juices flowing. And then eventually you won't need the list of prompts. You'll just intuitively know what you need to write about in the moment. And so it's, it's all transition periods, right? Start simple, start really easy facts, start with a meal. People that are a little more intuitive, start with a Googled writing prompt and go from there. You are the book whisperer, my girl. (laughs) So Larissa, where can people find you on your social media? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook. My personal profile is where I'm the most active. I share the most stories and things like that and where you can really get a look into my life. So just Larissa Sowen on Facebook. And then my website is bestsellerbootcamp.ca. You can head there. You can see all of our programs, all of our offerings. And my email address is there as well. And we can touch base. 
Wow, wonderful. Well, Larissa, thank you so much for, uh, you know, just being here and just imparting all of your book wisdom and being the book whisperer. And I really enjoyed you sharing a little bit about your uh, mental health struggles and how your daughter was really the the one that really inspired you. She's essentially your muse. Mm-hmm. She is. Yes. You're such an amazing woman. I love what you're doing out here. And I'm glad that you're in a good place where you can teach others to get to where you are right now. So I thank you so much for being on my podcast and we will talk soon. Thank you. Peace and blessings. Thank you for supporting this episode. I hope you've been inspired and motivated so you can elevate your life. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you're kept in a loop when a new one drops. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcasting platform. I want to engage with you, so let me know what you think by giving the episode a rating, writing a review, or leaving a voice message, and I can share them in an upcoming episode. Now remember to also share this with your tribe. Until next time, remember, overcoming adversity not only teaches us a lot about ourselves, others, and life, but also gives us the opportunity to be reminded of our own power and strength. So don't be afraid to share your story. And when you're ready to do so, email saveoursisters2020 at gmail.com. Thank you.